Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The government signs off on a cut in excise duty on petrol and diesel in a move to tackle rising prices, but with reports of costs per litre jumping yet again today, will it have the desired effect? As Ukraine bans the export of wheat, oats and other key agricultural goods, do we need to look at ramping up our own produce to ensure our food security? And later, Irish-born explorer Ernest Shackleton's famous lost ship endurance is found after 107 years. Get in touch on Twitter with your comments and questions on hashtag TonightVMTV. Tonight, the war in Europe and Ukraine has accused Russia of war crimes after a direct hit on a children's hospital in the besieged southern city of Mariupol. A maternity ward in the same building has also been destroyed and the Ukrainian president has claimed this evening that infants are buried in the rubble. Well, earlier, Russia said a new ceasefire had been brokered to allow civilians flee the worst hit parts of Ukraine. Elsewhere, there was fresh concern about the monitoring of the Chernobyl nuclear power station, the scene of a disaster in 1986. Here, opposition parties and interest groups have slammed the government's move to ease fuel bills for under-pressure consumers by reducing excise duty. Fuel prices have spiked because of the conflict in Ukraine, but motorists are already complaining that the benefits of the government's excise cut have been eroded by dramatic jumps in the price at the pump. Well, our reporter Paul Quinn spoke to motorists about the rapid rise in fuel prices at the forecourts. They've already put it up. They've gone down at midnight and who knows. It's gone crazy. We won't be able to travel very far anymore. I mean, it'll, it'll be essential travel only. I just came back up from Dingle yesterday and it cost 80 euro to, down and 80 euro back to fill the car, you know. So it's crazy, like it really is, you know. It won't be enough, but what can they do? They have to spread their coppers, you know. I'm a hairdresser and everyone that sits in the salon is talking about the price of fuel and how it's gone up and I'm sure everything's gone up except for our wages. 40 euros, 40 euros more. There you go. Yeah, and still going, still not fuel. 40, 43 euros more two weeks ago. Well, it's a good reaction to that story. I'm joined now in studio by Pat O'Toole, political correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal, John McGahan, Fine Gael Senator, and Shannon spokesperson on climate, communications, energy and natural resources, Rose Conway-Walsh, Sinn Féin TD, Kevin McPartland, CEO of Fuels for Ireland, and John Lee, executive editor of the Daily Mail Group Ireland. Um, on those prices at the pumps, you heard the reaction from people today. The cost of filling up, everyone knows all about it, John Lee. The big question is, with the excise duty cut by 20 and 15 cent per litre, uh, will it be enough? Um, the government were pretty 
clear this evening that that's as far as they're going to go. Um, both um, parliamentary, uh, both main government party parliamentary parties were briefed. Um, Michal Martin gave a very what was described as a very stark outline of what he expects to happen in the coming weeks and months. He, he has made it clear today in the Dáil and again tonight at the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party that they don't really have the wriggle room, he says, to reduce excise duty by any more. They've also said, himself and Pascal Donoghue today, that they can't impose price caps on, on fuel, which has been recommended by a few groups that perhaps if you were just to nail it at one point and not mess around with tax anymore, that was a solution. But what they've made clear is that, um, Pascal Donoghue made clear today, is that oil is traded as a commodity, and I'm sure Kevin will make, expand on this, on international markets, and we aren't in a position to do that. Pascal Donoghue said that we are in a, he seemed to say we're in a unique position that we import most of our fossil fuels, but surely most of the planet is in that situation. Um, oil did, I, I noticed, drop in price on wholesale markets this evening. That may help. OPEC countries have have said, and a lot of this was outlined tonight by the government, that they are um, hoping to increase the supply. But Micheál Martin tonight at the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party outlined to his TDs and senators that we've got a very, very tough um, six months to a year ahead of us uh, economically. And we have to see what happens in Ukraine with Vladimir Putin and how long he's going to stretch out this war of attrition. So is it the case from government, John McGahan, brace yourselves, is that, is that what, what they're yeah, saying I, to the public? I, I, I think so. And I think it would be disingenuous, Claire, of me to suggest otherwise. This could very well get worse uh, before it gets better. As John said, it all depends on how far Vladimir Putin intends on stringing out this war. And from the actions to date, to me, and I'm not a military analysis, but from those actions, this could be a considerable amount of time. So I have to be very honest to say that, yeah, that this could uh, get a lot worse before it gets better. And there's no point to me coming on to say otherwise. But what we are trying to do as a government is what we have done today. We're trying to mitigate people as best as we can against some of these factors. Uh, and that's what we've done where you have the 20 cent yeah, I'm just wondering, is it as best as you can? I mean, the, the argument that's already being made is that we're already seeing prices at the four courts going up, so it negates any benefit of that 20 cent and 15 cent <coughs> cut off a litre of fuel. Yeah, and uh, when you talk about the prices at the four court, again, as John has mentioned there, one of the things that Pascal Dunn, who was very clear about today in his interviews, is that we have strongly considered the concept of price caps. We have looked at it and we don't think it's feasible. So that is what government is saying. Uh, while it is, it's not nice that we see prices going up like that, that, now, that is what other countries, other countries have adopted price caps. Yeah, and I think it is something that we can certainly look at, but I, I'm going off what Minister Donoghue said today, and I, and I trust his point that he said it was examined very closely, it was looked at, and they felt that it wasn't feasible in this context. Okay, we have to uh, point on something that the Taoiseach also said tonight at the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party, and this is on the issue of allegations of price gouging. Kevin, I want to come to you on this, because you represent, you know, your Fuels for Ireland, you represent the fuel lobby. Um, he hit out at price gouging, saying any exploitation of a barbaric war such as this is morally reprehensible. Such profiteering is completely unacceptable on fuel prices. It's a barbaric act of cruelty on a civil population. Strong words from the Taoiseach tonight on that. What do you say to people who, who have said, they're, I mean, they're, they're posting pictures, they've seen the price at the pumps themselves, they're changing by the hour right now. And the question that's being asked is, is the fuel lobby making a lot of money off this? They are strong words and, and frankly they're ill-informed with respect to the Taoiseach. Uh, there is no price gouging. I think you will find, and, and the analysis is, is available to anybody, you can see commodity prices. The, the truth of the matter is diesel went up 22 cent per litre on wholesale markets yesterday alone 
yesterday alone. The impact of the, the uh, uh, excise duty cut that was announced today would, would not even wipe that out. Now, as, as uh, John said, the price of oil went down today and the price of uh, wholesale diesel went down by 30 cents a litre. So between those two things, you will see the impact that was hoped for by government when they made that announcement. But at the time that they made that announcement at 11 o'clock, there was no sign of the uh, prices dropping so much could you, today. Could you explain to us that, that if, the, if you're seeing the price of diesel increase by, by 22 cents in, the, in one day, does that immediately pass on to the consumer? Does it not take a couple of weeks to feed through? Have it's, you not, it's not already quite, bought in your fuel? Yeah, it's not quite immediate, but it's not a couple of weeks either. So if you have a... So people talk about... And you, you mentioned it, some, some service stations that the price will change even within one day. You will have some service stations around the country, the really busy ones, that may have five, six uh, deliveries per day. Each delivery will be at a different wholesale price, perhaps. You'll have other um, uh, forecourts that may have one delivery a week. So those things all make a difference. It's why the pricing situation is very, very dynamic. And let's be clear, we're the only industry where the price is up in two-foot-tall illuminated letters outside the store. The competition is incredibly tight. The people were selling at a loss today. Really? Absolutely, really. Uh, because they were looking around and trying to price lower than their competitive competitor in the same area? Some of that may have been. Some of them would have known because there are, there are trends in oil prices that, that, that happen from one, you know, different types of the month and they were kind of expecting a little bit of a dip today. So they would maybe say, well, we'll absorb something today and hopefully get it back tomorrow. But if I could give you one example, if, if you go into a, a, a local garage and you put 70 euros worth of diesel in your car and I walk in behind you and I spend 250 on a cappuccino, they will make a great deal more on the cappuccino than they will on the tank of fuel. That's uh, the reality of this market. Right, OK, Pat, I told you accept um, what you're hearing there from, from the fuel lobby on this matter. We are hearing reports up and down the country around uh, the price at the four courts yeah. uh, and, and what sort of impact this excise, excise cut is going to have. So farmers buy from the wholesale market. They buy off, off fuel depots and uh, typically store their own, uh, their own fuel at the moment. Uh, if I, I rang for fuel at home on Tuesday, I, they could give me a date of delivery. They said they could deliver on Friday. They could only give me that day's price, which would only hold for that day. I got a call yesterday evening to say that the price will be up 17 cent today. The uh, excise, because agri-fuel has a lower excise level on it, uh, the excise relief is only 2 cent on agri, so there's a 15 cent net increase today. Um, there's no guarantee around price, but availability, normally uh, a fuel tank would be 2,500 litres. Uh, contractors would have 10,000 litre tanks. Fuel deliveries are 1,000 litres to farmers, 2,000 litres to contractors. That's the maximum that they can deliver. The depots are only getting in half the fuel uh, to meet their own demand day to day. There's a so supply availability issue, is, Yeah, availability is an issue and price is day to day. Um, in that wholesale market. So farmers are feeling everything that, that's being said here. Absolutely. Uh, it's real. Yeah. Um, listening to this, uh, Rose, and the reaction from fuel suppliers saying, look, it's costing us, the price is changing, is literally changing by the hour and changing by the delivery. Um, the Taoiseach saying, you know, look out for price gougers, that's really not fair and we're doing all we can. What do you think of the government's approach to this, to, to try and help people and tackle this rising cost of fuel? I think it's very late in the day, Kira. I mean, we have for months now, we have asked the government to, um, to liaise with Europe to deal with the costs. Uh, we knew the costs 
costs were escalating all the time. We know that tonight and that all, all of the TDs have an opportunity to vote for the Sinn Féin amendment uh, to the, the government uh, proposition. Uh, that would mean that the price of, uh, of, of petrol would be down by 34 cents. The price of diesel would be down by 25 cents. How would you do that? What mechanism and there would be a reference would, price would of use? That's, cut, that's cutting the excise, and it can be done. Mm. I think the teacher is saying that it cannot be done, but he's using the diesel rebate uh, scheme as an excuse for that. We know with absolute certainty that can be done tonight. So after midnight tonight, that could be done, and at least that would be a first step. You're right in terms of uh, of what the government are proposing. Um, it, it's not enough, and it has has been almost negated overnight. But the government has really dragged its feet on this and people are really, really suffering across the country. And it's not just people who are, are putting uh, diesel or petrol in their car. Obviously, it has a knock-on effect. Mm. It has a knock-on effect on the uh, taxi drivers, on haulage, on the supply chains, right across. It permeates every bit of our society. Yeah, and John Lee, we know that the hauliers, I think, are in a meeting with the, with the Transport Minister, Eamon Ryan, this evening about the situation. They say it's chronic for them and they just can't, won't be able to put trucks out in the road. That's going to affect the supply chain. Um, it's going to point to potentially a, a much bigger problem and, and actually what we're seeing right now might just be a fraction of what's going to come down the line in the next few weeks if we keep <coughs> seeing these rocketing price rises. Uh, and that's something... I must say that Eamon Ryan didn't fill us, fill us all with great optimism on, on his, um, with his words this morning. They seemed a bit d detached, I thought. But um, talking about people, you know maybe using less fuel and that kind of thing. That isn't, that isn't possible for some people in, in industry. We know that. Um, the rural independences that left the doll this evening were, 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 were giving grave warnings about the effect a lot of this is going to have on uh, contractors and people in the agricultural sector. But um, I, th I, I think we've all been taken aback, first of all, by the, by the, um, by the events in, in, in Ukraine, but also the unanimity of the reaction of, the, of, the, of the, the international community. So one would hope that, the, that maybe there could be an unexpected um, rally here. We've seen uh, multinationals pull out of, the, out of Russia. I don't think anyone expected to see something. We could be facetious about it, to see a company like McDonald's or Starbucks pull out of Russia in the way they have. And, and one would almost hope when you see the, the oil prices drop this evening that the world markets might settle down. And I think our government yeah. probably has shown us that it's slow in reacting to this. It's been warned for an awful long time. I spoke to people in the Department of Finance back in January and they said, listen, we're taking these moves now. If you remember then there was the, 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 the uh, grants to um, householders, but all bets are off when, if Ukraine if there's war there. Now that's six weeks ago. They've known for six weeks that a lot of this has been yeah. possible. So I think what might rescue us is the unanimity in the international community yeah, rather than, than, than government actions here because they just seem a bit yeah. slow. Kevin, on that, you, you mentioned that. And, and do you think we're likely to see some stabilisation of oil prices then that you know, will have that knock-on effect and bring a little bit of stability at the pumps? I, I, I don't see anything in the immediate future that will take us back down is the truth. Now, the, the, the question is whether we continue to go up. The, the reality of the situation is Russia supplied 10% of the, of the world's oil. So people don't want to do business with Russia, absolutely rightly right now. They don't want to, 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 to put money into that economy. And therefore, that 10% is, is no longer in the game. 
In addition to that, they provided 40% of the gas that was used in Europe. And a lot of countries that were using that gas to generate their electricity have now switched to oil. So there is an increased demand also. When you have a decrease in supply, an increase in demand, it only does one thing to prices. And if I could just come back to Pat's point about farmers. Farmers were really badly daunted today. The fact that there was no meaningful relief for farmers, there was no meaningful relief for rural Ireland, the 700,000 homes that use home heating oil, there was nothing for them. And, you know, we, we have to get serious about this. And, 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 I, and I think, you know, John, uh, sorry, um, uh, John, yeah, sorry, uh, alluded to the fact that, uh, that um, Eamon Ryan was a bit out of touch today. Mm. And I think that there's something about this response of government that is a bit out of touch. There is a lack of recognition of what it means to be relying on oil to heat your home, to, to farm your land, to get yeah. in and out of work. I mean, John McGann, that's a very fair point, isn't it? Like, this isn't going to impact everybody in the same way. In areas where there's public transport, you can leave the car at home. That's fine. But in, in rural areas when, where you rely on your car, you rely on it for work, you rely on it if you're a farmer, and then you rely on it to heat your home, um, which is in a rural, rural area far away from other transport links, you're really going to be hit hard. And there was no additional packages for people living in rural Ireland. No, no I'd have to disagree. And um, there's a couple well, of interesting strands there, and I'll try and touch a few of them. So when you say that there's no additional supports for people in rural Ireland, well, first of all, there's no excise duty on home, eat, on home heating oil. Uh, one of the things, and not to get into it in too much detail, but what, is, we, what we've done, there's no excise duty. 84.4. I think there is. There is 84. There's no excise duty. I'm sorry, just, no be, just to be very clear, there's okay. absolutely no excise duty and with all due respect to you, perhaps your notes or your briefing is wrong, but there isn't and it can be clarified after there tonight. Yeah. And we have an expert here beside to confirm it. You may say there is, there but is. there isn't and we can fact check it afterwards till the cows come home. But there so is you're no saying you cannot duty. do anything with excise duty? Not on home heating oil. There's no excise duty on home heating oil. There are other taxes, but not, not, not uh, excise duty, which is why there was no relief for the price of home heating oil today. No, I, I, it's nice to have someone who can, as an expert, yeah. to back it up. And okay, that's no disrespect to you, Rose, no, it's just no, a point no, that right, I'm making. But, but to, to go back the to the original okay, so but on other, the other taxes yeah, that so are on home heating so oil. So just for example there, when we're talking about uh, heating homes in rural Ireland, as you mentioned earlier, I'm the climate action spokesperson. So just a number of weeks ago, we introduced, and I won't get into too much detail, but we introduced one of the most ambitious retrofit programmes imaginable, which is already starting now, this month. And what can't afford to retrofit at the moment. They can't afford to fill their car. No, so just one second, Claire. What we're actually doing there with the very first grant we're providing, we are providing a 100% free energy upgrade to those who are most vulnerable of fuel poverty in this country. Those who are on the lowest incomes in Ireland. Well, there's not a two-year... There's a warmer home scheme. Rose, I'm sorry, you're, well, there you're, you're conflating two issues. No. And, I, and I didn't interrupt you, and if I could just yeah. finish my point as well. We are talking about a brand new retrofit scheme which is opened up this month. Suppliers are getting into the market and they're putting in together new applications. Okay, so what what's you're the talking turnaround about is, on that, John? Do you know what the turnaround is on that? Again, to get into a bit of detail, if, if that's all right, the turnaround time on retrofitting really depends on the type of job that you want to right, get done. Okay. So but for an immediate aid now for people, while it's still really cold yeah, outside, that, that we've got orange weather alerts, you know, and people are looking to heat their home, they're seeing the bills coming through. And right now with everything that's happening, the idea that there might be a little more relief for homeowners is something that, that, that may be again, expected. Yeah, no? Again, a, a very fair question. And again, I'd point you to the absolutely substantial cost of living packages that we introduced just two weeks ago of 550 million. And what that is, is huge increases in social welfare, huge increases in the fuel allowance, reductions, I, reductions I, yeah. in it as well. I want so there, to, there's I want a wide let, of I want to let Rose doing. in here. Yeah, you, you've had lots of time. Uh, Kira, we're in an emergency situation. 
emerging right across the country. We know that two thirds of, uh, of, of homes in rural Ireland are, are dependent on home eat, eating oil. There is things that we could do in terms of VAT reductions there and, and other reductions. People are really, really to the pin of their collar. There is a waiting list for the warmer home scheme. It's in Mayo, scheme it's two, in Mayo, it's two years. In, in Mayo, it's a two year waiting list. It is going to take time. We don't have the labour to start with to be able to do this retrofitting. Absolutely, we welcome it. But right here, right now, people are suffering from fuel poverty mm. and the government are dragging its feet again. They've had months to do something yeah. about this and they have, even from Europe, the messages coming from Europe is saying we're in an emergency, we need I mean, flexibility. It's so, it's so, sorry, we need a, just we need a response. Let Rose, you know? finish your point on that. Um, yeah. Yeah, like the pressure certainly is on to do something about it and, and, and I, I'm just wondering on the issue, uh, even though Pascal Donoghue had said, like he said a few weeks ago there would be no mini budget, we weren't foreseeing a change to this excise duty and that has come about. So, I mean, will the government acknowledge that maybe more does need to be done um, with regard to, to VAT? We know that we pay more for fuel on this island than in many countries around Europe. Well, uh, you know, from, from what we're hearing, there can't, much can't be done in excise because we're, we're, we're being told the taxes are so heavy. On the other hand, that this suppliers aren't making money out of it. But I worked in Leinster House um, during the economic crash throughout and every week Brian Lenehan would, would um, stand up and tell us something wasn't possible, like cutting the, cutting the pensions of civil servants, cutting their wages. We were, we were cited on pensions that property rights prevented the government from cutting, the, cutting the, their pensions. It was done a few months later. We were told the banks couldn't be bailed out to the extent that they were. If we are, as, as Michal Martin told the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party today, in, in a state of war in Europe, which we clearly are, um, we've just gone through a pandemic. That's two of the four horsemen of the, pan of the apocalypse down. Death and conquest are the other two. So the government will repeatedly say this is not possible, but something will have to be done, for instance, on prices. If this can't be done through taxes, uh, Michal Martin gave some hints today that, um, th that Europe is preparing a toolbox. That might mean something on VAT. We need we European say-so on, on VAT cuts. We need European say-so on, 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 some, on some agriculture measures so as we're wait, well. We're so we're waiting for a European I green think, light think, on many of I these issues. Something will happen in the next few okay. weeks as well. We don't need, there's one, thing we, there's one thing we don't need to wait for European sanction on. Uh, Agri-contractors have to pay the carbon tax. Uh, there's a rebate for farmers. Um, and that could be amended immediately because contractors are bearing <coughs> the brunt of this and they, they can't afford, they literally can't afford the fuel costs that are, are facing them at the yep. moment. Um, that's something that could be done in the morning. Okay, we'll talk about more on that after the break and a couple of tweets on that. Promote working from home to pay, help people reduce fuel requirements. And amazing that the government has no room to decrease fuel prices, but has plenty when it wants to increase them. Okay, we can go live now uh, to our Brussels correspondent, Rosie Burchard, who's standing by with the latest on the international picture um, around this invasion of Ukraine. And Rosie, reaction to the reports from Ukraine tonight of that deadly air strike by Russian forces destroying a hospital complex which includes a children's hospital ward and um, a maternity hospital. What can you tell us about that? 
Claire, certainly a sense of shock here in Brussels, though the, United, the European Union has not released a specific statement on this. They have been no press release so far, but I've just been on the phone to one EU official and they sent me a statement saying the EU in general condemns all targeting of civilian infrastructure and that atrocities like this one targeting a hospital only serve to underline the, uh, the atrocities committed by Russian forces under the command of Vladimir Putin, they say in blatant violation of international law. And more broadly, we've heard from the EU's foreign policy chief, Josep Borrell. He said he's been on the phone to Antonio Guterres, the United Nations chief, and says that the humanitarian situation in Ukraine is simply catastrophic. Uh, elsewhere, Rosie, there are growing tensions over that offer by Poland um, of fighter jets to help um, the Ukrainian army. It's something that NATO and the US certainly don't want to see happen. Yes, there have been some kind of back and forth on this. That offer from Poland to send those military aircraft via a United States airbase in Germany seemed to come as a surprise to the United States. And just in the last hour or so, we've had a Pentagon spokesperson basically pour cold water on that offer. They say it's very high risk and it could be interpreted as a move toward escalation. That's, of course, because Ukraine is not a member of NATO, therefore not party to that collective defence agreement known as Article 5, and the fear is that sending those military aircraft in could be moving toward a real a bigger war where we would see NATO allies and Russia facing each other off. So, so far, the United States says that's something they are not considering at this time. But we did have mixed messages. Anthony Blinken, when he spoke alongside UK Foreign Secretary Liz Truss earlier, said the talks would continue. So it's not clear whether the deal is totally dead or whether it's now just in a case of ironing out some technical details and finding a way to transfer military aircraft in through a different means which would not be seen as so uh, high risk. And Rosie, EU sanctions being extended, um, they've been announced ahead of this summit that's taking place tomorrow. What can you tell us? Yes, so more sanctions today, fresh sanctions from the European Union, 160 more individuals. Those are many of them business people with links to key sectors of the Russian economy, for example, the pharmaceutical and telecoms industry. Claire, that brings the total of individuals under EU sanctions with links to this war to 862. That's just two weeks uh, into, this, uh, into this war. So we're now seeing ramping up sanctions. Some Belarusian banks also cut off from from that swift international payment system. But, of course, we know there might be some other ones in the works. When EU leaders meet tomorrow in Versailles, they could be discussing a fourth sanctions package, but it would be a very brave analyst, Claire, who would tell you exactly what would trigger that and what they would include. Because, of course, that brings up some very uncomfortable questions for EU leaders. Really, how much worse is this going to get? And that's a question they'll be asking themselves as Ukrainians face another day of conflict. Rosie Burchard in Brussels for us tonight. Thank you for that analysis. And my thanks to Kevin McPartland. The rest of the panel uh, will be staying with me. Uh, coming up at the, after the break, we're going to be looking at prices in our soup, on our supermarket shelves and the issue of food security. Stay with us. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back. My panel of Pat O'Toole, John McGahan, Rose Conway-Walsh and John Lee are still with us. Today came the news that Ukraine's government has banned the export of wheat, oats and other staples that are crucial for global food supplies as authorities try to ensure that they can feed people during Russia's intensifying war. Well, as the world tries to figure out what this may mean for food supply chains and security, the focus has now turned to what we can do to bridge the gap. Earlier today, our Midwestern reporter Eric Clark went to Lestole Mart in County Kerry, where farmers are counting the cost of the war and their livelihoods and the pressures they're facing as it is. Farming, like, is at rock bottom at the moment. Like, even getting a good price for cattle, it's gone. The, the, the overheads have gone crazy, like. I'm not depending on it, thanks be God, farming. I'm working with it. But other than that, I'd be hungry. Uh, Fertiliser gone up by 300%, the cost of it. Ration gone up, and diesel in with it. There's the pinch. <laughs> well, especially this week now, fuel prices, uh, feed prices, and fertilizer prices, and uh, of course, ESB has also gone up. So the four main ingredients really for farming. Yeah, and just some reaction there from farmers. Um, to the rising prices and really a couple of things there. Fuel and fertiliser seem to be the big issue for farmers right now. How are they feeling the squeeze, Pat? Um, we're talking about a doubling of fertiliser prices over the last 12 months. Um, the uh, fuel price has pretty much doubled as well in terms of agri and road diesel. Um, then uh, feed prices have gone up by anywhere around 30 to 40%, but they're going to continue to rise because feed prices are very closely linked uh, to fertilizer prices and to fuel prices because they're the two uh, main ingredients, the two inputs that are required for future uh, feed production. So that all fuels the, uh, the issues we're going to have around food prices. Yeah, um, tell us about that, like the, yeah. the, the impact this is going to have for the cost of food, the cost of producing um, for farmers and how that could play out then on, on what we'll eventually have to pay when it hits the supermarket. Well, this is a, going to be a, a massive shock. In terms of eventually pay, I suppose some foodstuffs are, are immediate turnaround, like fresh milk, vegetables, um, and the vegetable sector is reeling at the moment. Uh, farmers would plant six to nine months in advance and have contracts set, so those contracts are hopelessly inadequate for the price, uh, uh, the price of inputs, the, the costs that are, are now being incurred. Farmers are losing money every day. 
the supermarkets are not responding to requests for an immediate price increase. They're not even responding to requests for a price increase in double digits for nine months' time for the next tranche of contracts, which leaves growers in a position where they would be uh, sowing at a certain loss. Mm. They can't afford to do that. Um, so that's the vegetable sector and that the solutions there are in the hands of our own retail sector uh, who can then pass on the cost to our consumers. The alternative you, is we go bust. Yeah, so do you think there needs to be an acceptance that we do need to pay more for our food? Well, we've been paying we, too little. We've been uh, paying food too prices, little already. Is yeah, that your, your view? Uh, food prices in 2021 were 85% of their 1990 levels according to the Consumer Price Index. That's the CSO figure. Mm. So uh, food prices have been artificially cheap and they were buttressed by, you have to go back to uh, 60 years ago, the cap was formed by Europe, by people who had known hunger. And one of the uh, founding principles of the EEC was that there would never be hunger in Europe again. So they created a system of overproduction and support prices. That has evolved over time. We now have what were support payments and our environmental payments. Mm. There's no link between production and supports. Uh, the price hasn't moved because this permanent oversupply has meant that supply and demand doesn't occur. So we now have this artificially low price and now the inputs are rising. Uh, it, it is Armageddon for vegetable farmers right now. For, there won't be any shortages of the three, I suppose, 90% yeah. of our milk, 90% of our meat is exported. There'll be no shortage on the but, supermarket but we, shelves of those. But other products, products cost. that we import, um, okay. well, uh, the other thing that's crucial here is that like, it, it's the supply chain of, of foods coming in from all over the world mm -hmm. to Ireland. Just in time, and we saw this during the pandemic, when anything happens to just in time, it becomes too bloody late. And that is what's happening right now. Yeah, do you think, um, John Lee, that the government are aware of, of this food crisis? I mean, uh, you know, politically, how are they responding to it? Like, we've had, you know, Charlie McConnell talking with farmers and talking about setting up this, you know, grow, grow tillage, change the way farmers work to respond to um, the invasion in Ukraine. But really, are they getting at the nub of the problem here that farmers can't afford to do what they're already doing? Mm and we're simply not paying enough maybe in the supermarkets for the food that they're trying to produce for us. Well, it certainly hasn't dominated the, the political discourse in the last two or three days. So, I mean, Charlie McConnogue kind of reported on the talks last night. I didn't get much clarity from that. Um, I, I think there seemed to be a tacit admission that there isn't much, uh, much they can do. I happened to bump into Rose um, in the corridor today and we were discussing um, say in her part of the world, Balmullet, where there had been talk of maybe farmers switching to um, wheat farming, etc., etc. You wouldn't be doing that much of that in West, in in West Mayo. There, if there was money to be made in widespread, I, I would assume as a bystander in widespread tillage, for instance, they, farmers would be doing it already. Um, it seems to. There seems to be, from the warnings from Pascal Donoghue in the Dáil tonight, and he wasn't specifically referring to food prices or the agricultural sector, he, he said we are at the very, very start of um, pr price increases and threats to our economy today. So over the coming months there seems to be an absolute admission from government there will be an explosion in prices and there isn't really much they can do with it on, do with it on a, yeah. do about would, it on a national level. Would, John may tell us something different but I didn't get huge confidence from what Charlie McConlogue and other people yeah. in government were saying today. John is that true? Is there, is, 
can anything be done around this? Yeah, absolutely. And I'd have to politely disagree with um, John. And I defer to you. And maybe uh, you can, the, few, the few points that I would make about it. Well, first of all, to say is that at the minute, there isn't a food or feed security issue at this point in time that there isn't. So what we're trying to do is make sure that we're, pre- pre- we're preparing now, we're being prudent so that coming down the line in a world of uncertainty that we are best prepared for it. So, for example, but as like we, we mentioned... We already know about the fertiliser so, issue yeah, and so the just, reliance on that from Russia and we're not... Yeah, so just, just farmers to, aren't going just, to get that anymore. So just to finish the point I'm making, so farming organisations have been meeting directly with the Minister last night in government buildings. There has been a lot of uh, keyholders, uh, stakeholder engagement about this. A very substantial uh, financial package is due to be announced at the end of this month and that financial package is going to provide a lot of reassurance for farmers as well in Ireland. And the final point I would like to make, and we just have to remember this, that we are part of the European Union. This is not an issue that is just unique to Irish farmers. This is an issue that is happening farmers and agricultural sector right across the European Union. And the European Union will have a strong and robust uh, common uh, approach back to this that's also going to help Irish and agricultural sectors We're hearing that, Rose, grants, grants and more grants um, just, you know, to, to help resolve this issue, certainly around the issues like fertiliser and, and the problems that are now facing farmers. Would you accept that, you know, that that's the way around this and, and that is going to be done by government? Well, the EU have uh, talked about a 500 million uh, reserve fund, which certainly would be welcome, but that would only be the tip of the iceberg what's needed. But for months now, farmers have been telling us about their input costs and their cash flow problems in terms of fuel, fertiliser, and, uh, and other input, co- input costs in, in feed. And we haven't done anything for farmers in that regard. Now we had some kite flying from the minister in terms of uh, setting of, of tillage and all that. And as John says, that won't work for every, uh, mm. every area of the country. But also, who's going to pay for the seed? Is there going to be enough seed to, 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 to a seed supply there? So there's all of those things that there's no formal proposal to the farming organisations that they can look at. I thought the INHFA had some useful suggestions, even in terms of alternative uh, to fertiliser. Yeah. Uh, they were talking about wool and uh, the phosphorus in wool being used but also uh, we could talk of seaweed and we know that seaweed is is underutilized as well and that used to be used for fertilizer so there are different measures that can be taken but the governments really need to listen to farmers at the moment because we won't have farmers at the end of this if we don't support them through this crisis. Is the government listening Pat? They're listening, but we are at an emergency. Time is ticking. We're into March. This is the sowing season. It will be too late in six weeks' time. It'll be, it's over either way in six weeks' time. So um, decisions have to be taken immediately. Uh, and there won't be grants. I believe pig farmers are going to get somewhere in the region. We're hearing a package between 50 and 100 million, but that's a loan. And pig farmers will be paying a levy on every pig that they kill for the next 15 years to pay that back. That's what we understand is being proposed for the pig sector, but that's the only thing that will save them. Now, the 500 million across Europe, 100 million for Ireland's 300 pig farmers, Mm. that puts it in perspective. In terms of uh, the growing of of grain, the problem here is that 30% of the export of grain on the planet comes from Russia and the Ukraine, and that's gone off the market. So there's going to be a shortage of feed for our animals. Because we have about 90% of our uh, dairy and beef animals and our sheep, uh, their diet is 90% grass. So we can cope, but the fertiliser issue is huge. Today, Glambia, Ireland's largest co-op, the largest sellers of fertiliser, told their their customers they are not taking any more orders for fertiliser. And we need fertiliser right through the next six months. Yeah, are we likely to see then prices go up in the supermarkets? And and politically then, John, you know, what, what way does the government handle all of this? We know that 
people are really struggling with the current cost of living now, are you just going to tell people that, look, we are going to face increased prices and that's the reality of the situation? Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's a hypothetical question. It's difficult it's to answer. It's not really hypothetical. That, I think we, we, it's likely... So, what I, so, it's, so it's, to try really to answer, to, to to answer yeah. your question, I'll answer it in twofold. Uh, the first way I'd answer it is that when you talk about the cost of living, and I've mentioned it already and I won't go over it, but the substantial financial packages that we have put in place over the last four or five weeks to mitigate against the cost of living, that is increases in social welfare payments, it's providing grants, it's, 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 it's cushioning people against these volatile rates we are seeing at the moment. Um, the second thing that we really want to do and, and, and make sure I suppose that we're really concerned about is, and it goes back to what I said at the very opening sentence of this whole debate, is that we are in a very volatile situation and granted things could get worse before they get better and the reason things could get worse is because there is war on the European continent, is because women, children are being slaughtered on the streets of a European continent and there is a ripple effect right through Europe and right around the world and what we are doing as a government is trying to introduce so many financial measures to mitigate as best as possible. We are doing our absolute yeah. best and we're committed to doing that. Yeah. I, I want mean, to get before, Rose in before, on that before Just we go. before Ukraine, obviously uh, we had inflation <coughs> and inflation creasing all the time and we were always told that it was going to peak in April so these measures should have been put in place before that now and why John says some measures have been done there's many other things which sees a combination of whether it be the cost of rent the cost of childcare mm -hmm. the fuel as, as, as we said and other measures so everything is coming together in terms of the cost of living crisis and the government have been ignoring that to a great extent. OK, uh, my thanks to the panel. Uh, stay with us because uh, coming up after the break, Ernest Shackleton's lost ship is found below the Antarctic ice. Stay with us. Welcome back. The wreck of Antarctic explorer Ernest Shackleton's famous ship Endurance has been found 107 years after it sank. Well, I'm joined now by Kevin Kenny, director of the Shackleton Museum in Athai in County Kildare, to discuss one of the world's most famous shipwrecks. An unbelievable find today. Uh, what did you think when you heard the news? Had you been following what this team had been doing um, in order to try and retrieve the famous ship? Yeah, yes, we had. Um, there's a small group of us in Atai, the Shackleton Museum, and then we have a voluntary committee. But this is very much a Shackleton time for us. His centenary was January the 5th, uh, is when he died 100 years ago. And then the expedition to find the ship uh, was obviously very exciting. Um, Menson Bound, the director of exploration, um, himself and his wife visited us in December to tell us about it and, you know, to, to give us an inside track on it and so on. So, yes, we have good connections with it and we're obviously following it with interest. Um, so, can you tell us and give us a little bit of background about how this ship went down, what happened, who was on board, and, sure. and really the events in November, uh, when was it? November 1915, doing yeah. a failed attempt, wasn't it, yeah. to make the first land crossing of Antarctica? Yeah. OK, well, Shackleton had almost reached the South Pole in 1909. He turned back less than 100 miles from it in another great decision. The South Pole was reached then by the um, um, Norwegian explorer Amundsen in 1911, followed by Captain Scott in 1912. So the last big thing left to do in Shackleton's mind was to cross Antarctica from one side of the continent to the other. 
Um, he organised the endurance ex the, the expedition, the endurance expedition. In fact, the ship was called Polaris, and in the video you'll see a star on the back of it. But he renamed it Endurance after the Irish Shackleton family motto, which was "By Endurance We Conquer." Um, ship set off just as World War One broke out, called to a Norwegian whaling station, and then into the ice and was stuck in the ice a few weeks after it, it entered. And really, over the following months, the ice piled up and ground the ship down, broke it up. So November, as you said, November 1915, the ship disappeared through the ice, ice closed over it, and you had 28 people living with no evidence of an outside world. It was quite surreal. Um, all this is recorded in Shackleton's diary entries and in the book South, which he wrote about it. But he really, his first line was, the ship and stores are gone, so we're going home. And he led them then over a series of absolutely sort of awesome exploits, um, always with the next idea, always optimistic. He led them and they were all rescued, they all survived. Uh, tell us about Ernest Shackleton's Irish roots, because to many people they wouldn't necessarily identify him as an Irishman, but he was born in County Kildare mm. uh, in 1874 and, you know, the, the roots are strong, but, mm. but you... You got interested from a young age um, when you found a certain book and a certain note in that book. Yeah, my, my interest in Ernest Shackleton was, um, as a teenager, buying a second-hand Treasure Island and a postcard fell out of it as a page marker. And when I looked at it, um, it was from Ernest Shackleton to Jacobs, the biscuit makers, for thanking them for supplying biscuits to his 1907 expedition. Um, I live in Kildare, not too far from where he was born, so I would say Shackleton found me, I, I didn't find him. Um, then, so to Shackleton himself, yes, born in 1874, as you say, um, the Shackletons had come to Kildare, uh, they were a Quaker family, and again, the Jacobs um, postcard was a Quaker connection. Um, but the Shackens were a Quaker family and they came as educationalists. They, they set up a school, a very forward-thinking school, which was um, um, boys and girls and all religions. Um, so Napper Tandy, the United Irishman, went to that school, um, as did um, Edmund Burke, the, the orator, and Cardinal Cullen, and so on. So educationalists, and then six generations later, um, on that line, Ernest Shackleton comes along um, and really growing up, very happy childhood in Kildare, Shackleton always saw himself as Irish. His contemporaries saw him, saw him as Irish. Mm. The Irish newspapers at the time saw him as Irish. And um, his wife said he always called himself Irish. So, but he, they, the family moved to England when he was aged about 10. His father had gone back to university to train as a doctor. The family grew to um, a total of 10, eight girls and two yeah. boys. So, um, you know, and, and really from then on, it was through the Merchant Navy, he was never a Royal Navy seaman and so on and on to his expeditions. Yeah, so working from one expedition uh, yeah. to the next and having to raise the money for each of those yeah. trips, as you say, not with the Royal Navy, but a, a yeah. merchant seaman. Yeah. Um, about this particular ship, Endurance now, yeah. um, the famous ship, do you think it will be able to be pulled from, from the seabed, from where it was found? Um, efforts yeah. to do that must be, I mean, finding it is one thing, but being yeah. able to remove a ship that's over 100 years old, but I think quite a different matter. Finding was, was an amazing technical achievement. It's, it's a very austere climate. Uh, the ice is constantly moving and it was 3,000 metres deep. So, so that was an incredible achievement. Um, the, the, actually, no, it can't be touched, and it's, it's quite interesting that you asked the question, because it's protected by a thing called the Antarctic Treaty. And Antarctica as a continent, um, it, Antarctica is very important in terms of sea level and climate change and, and so on. Um, 
and it's governed by a treaty in place since 1959, where all the, I mean, right now, uh, Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian, Russian, American scientists are all working together and have worked together cooperatively in Antarctica. Uh, the continent is dedicated for the betterment of humankind. An interesting point is Ireland is one of the few countries that isn't a member of the Antarctic Treaty, but we're hoping to change that and with Minister Malcolm Noonan and so on, we're getting great traction on that now in Shackleton's centenary year. Okay, and, and I suppose, what are we likely to learn about life on board? That's the question, isn't it, about from what's been found? Yes, it's, it's, it's quite interesting because Shackleton insisted that the men were allowed to take a small amount of personal possessions and he encouraged them to take photographs and letters from home and so on to remind them of where they were, he was going to get them back to. On board the ship, there still are some logbooks and diaries left, uh, plus the photographer uh, had to leave some photographic plates behind him. So the possibility of some right. of those things coming up is it's just amazing. That's really, really exciting news. And congratulations to you all Thank at you. the Museum in Athai in County Kildare. My thanks Thank to you, Kevin, thanks. and to all our guests tonight from all the late team here. Good night. Take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 